What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Today's Baseball America podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. Baseball America podcast listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BA20 today. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Thanks, Dave Slade, for the intro. Joined this week, I'm John Manuel, joined by Matt Eddy and J.J. Cooper. If Matt's here, that must mean that we're going to either talk rookies or some rules and procedures. I we're talking both! Of, I missed that part of the blog, for sure. I really missed that part of the old prospects blog. There are a lot of prospects blog things I miss and some I don't, but... Rules and Procedures was awesome. Um, but we want to talk a little bit just about it's you know, a little more of a major league tone to this and, and some of the rookies and guys. It does seem like one of the surprises, we do this every issue, uh, every year in our opening day roster issue. So guys who were surprises to make major league rosters and guys who we used to do, guys who we can't believe they didn't make major league rosters. <laughs> we stopped doing that because so frequently guys who were clearly going to make a major league roster for every reason except for being held back for, uh, you know, uh, service, service time. time and for arbitration and these kind of things, that started dominating that part of the conversation. So we stopped that feature about 12, 14 years ago. We just focused on the surprises who did make it. And uh, Matt, and obviously JJ, you can play off this, but Matt did seem like a few more rookies made opening day roster this year, more surprises, yeah. uh, some guys who, and it wasn't just restricted to the usual, oh, that reliever made it for a week, although yeah, yeah. there were those guys too. A couple dozen, yeah. The, a dozen, yeah. I think the Rockies are most notable. Everybody knows Trevor's story by now. Uh, Everyone knows the Trevor story. Yeah, if you, story. if you don't, you are not following the major he, leagues right now. He benefited from an injury to Jose Reyes. But another player on the Rockies roster well, not did. A, not just an injury. It was a suspension. Yeah, suspension. Investigation. Yeah. yeah. He is on the restricted list pending but investigation. Backup catcher Tony Walters also is in the same boat, or similar boat, whereas Tommy Murphy and Dustin Garneau, he beat out two major league veterans. Murphy's injured. And, and here we are. New, new found Rocky. I mean, Tony Walters waiver claim this year went from. I mean, spring training. This is not a guy who was, you know, in January. I think, if I remember correctly. And the thing with Walters is he's a very unusual profile. It's not that this guy hasn't existed before, but he's a very unusual backup catcher. Who, if you need to, you could put him at second. And if you really stretch, if you need him in the ninth or the fifteenth inning, he can play shortstop for you because he's done it before. So. He's that rare, he doesn't hit a lot, infielder, yeah. but the catcher middle infielder, which yeah. is the he, truly rare. And he drafted as a high school shortstop, correct? <laughs> right. Mostly right. a second baseman as a pro until he converted to catcher. So his it, background is middle infield. It does surprise me that he it's unique. Uh, as I pointed out to Matt last week when we were talking about him making the team, the Rockies are the last team that had someone who was plausibly like that because Jordan Pacheco was a college second baseman. Who's up now and, and doing, yeah. was a big league kind of reserve <laughs> catcher. When he was a regular, when he got close to regular time, it was at third base where he was kind of like the anti-Nolan Arenado. No offense, Jordan. Jordan Pacheco, by the way, the number one rated player in the draft in New Mexico by yours truly <laughs> nice. in 2007. Number two, Matt Moore. <laughs> um, close. They're both big close. leaguers. They are both big leaguers. But, uh, but Jordan Pacheco is that rare Kind of catcher slash second baseman. Yeah. Tony Walters is not Craig Biggio. Let's just go out. Yeah, there. exactly. Well, Craig yeah. Biggio never did it in the same year. He mm-hmm. just did one, and then he did the other. 
And so. Walters is a left-handed hitter too, which is kind of cool. He's just such a unique player. He is a unique player. What are your What do you think the chances are of him being a big league player long term? What are his p- chances of earning a pension? Do you think he'll do that? Um, Was that five years? I think if he's if he just bounces around from bad team to bad team, there's always a chance. <laughs> but JJ, I mean, you had some insight on his his defensive. He's he has had great. I can't believe we're starting off. We're starting we're off. Starting off with we're Tyler hitting it hard. We're going to talk Tyler White, Trevor Story, and all, but we're going to start with Tony Walters, backup catcher. You know, yes. but hey, I'm excited about this. But Walters has always had exceptional throwing, you know, base stealing, caught stealing numbers in the minors. It's not as much of a strong arm as quick release and accurate. Um, hasn't hit a whole lot. I mean, that's really the question right. with him. And, but, been, and he had a bad knee for a couple of years. But he does. Otherwise, he's great. <laughs> but he does have a key requirement to be the back, the backup catcher who gets a lot of major league service time, which is great makeup, guy you like in the clubhouse, which uh, a tip for any catchers in the minors or elsewhere don't be a douchebag. Right. That's the key part. I mean, it really is a key part of the backup catcher approach is, do we want to have this guy around? And Walters fits that. I do think that he's a guy, the, Walters is the perfect third catcher. I like, you know, like, the, what I mean by third catcher is not you carry a third catcher. I like Tony Walters as the guy you have in AAA. Corky Miller, to me, defines third catcher. Corky Miller, year in, year out, got... A hundred at bats. Guy whose nickname could be Stash because they're so, constantly stashed in Triple A. Corky Miller and Corky Miller, by the way, is one of those guys who it was pretty much like, okay, Corky, just tell us when you're done playing, when you can no longer physically play, because we'll have you coaching literally right. the hour after you retire. So here's the whole reason I wanted to get into this uh, esoteric third catcher discussion <laughs> is that we before we started recording, we were talking about robot umps, hmm. and we were talking about pitch framing and. I've always been, I guess you would say, the pitch framing skeptic. I've come around a bit over the years. JJ has certainly beaten me down on that. <laughs> yes, you were. Very loudly beaten me down. You, you were pitch uh, assaulted by me on that on a regular basis. I have been. And I've, I've come around. I, I see the efficacy. I think we already knew that good receiving catchers helped your pitchers. I don't think we had quantified it. Um, and certainly quantifying it seems to be what teams need these days. <laughs> you know? You know, I always thought, I think that's a very tradi- it's it's quantifying a traditional belief about the game, which I think is it's kind proving, of unique. Well, the, the best way I put it is, is it proved that while we thought it was valuable, it was much more valuable than we ever realized. No, I don't think anyone in the See, game. I don't even think Matt agrees with you well, that it's that. Well, has I mean, proved that as maybe, valuable. Maybe we underestimated the value in a pitcher being. Oh, two rather than one one, for example, because that's what the whole it's all based on. Right, the, right, the, the value the of those pitch counts. Right, yeah. I think that's it. Boils down to that, like right, because it is we what we pitchers know it intuitively, but I think now we see the numbers. Behind. Like you see the difference. I mean, it's not just oh, you know, but it's also like that difference between one zero and oh one. The difference between one zero and oh one right is so massive that if you do that twice a game, right, it's incredibly valuable. That's a good way to sum it up. Yeah, but that I, I like that. And then the other part of it. So then the other part is if you have robot umps, that would eliminate the need mm-hmm. for a catcher. With that good left hand that you wrote about last and, year, and the quiet and the quiet head, right? So the, those two aspects. So does this mean we go back to an old school scouting look for catchers? How would this affect? So the, so this is the I question want I Ernie Lombardi. I want Ernie That's Lombardi it. behind the plate. You don't think Ernie Lombardi had a strong left hand? He had a strong nose. <laughs> figuring out. He had a strong everything. No, no, but there's a little agility back there. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but so, I, so the question is uh, this theoretical question is. 
how would robot umps affect scouting and player development and how catchers are scouted? Yeah. I do think it would lead to less athletic catchers. Or is that am I being too is that too obvious? No, it I, feels like right now there's more of a premium being placed on athleticism behind the plate. Mm-hmm. And that guys who are stiff but had power. I'm thinking the Mark Parent slash Danny Rams family of catchers because Matt's heard me say that for 10 years about the former Twins second round pick. Um, But that was the old school what they looked for. He had a seven arm. He had seven raw power. Thus, even though they weren't even sure he could really play second round pick. I mean, like, are we going to go back to that, JJ? Well, and this is just theoretical. I I do think when you say athletic, athleticism is a lot of different things. Yes. Fluid actions and agility. Right. Because really, the agility... Mark Mark Parent was not agile. But the agility is not as much affected. I mean, again, there is a certain amount of it, but we've also seen pitch framing is something that somewhat is a learned activity. Right. It is more about hands than athleticism. You're probably right. As catcher, catching coaches like to say, not pitch framing, pitch receiving, Mm -hmm. presentation. 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 Presentation is... Learning your limit, learning how far you can take your glove over there and still keep the glove still, keep your head still and catch it. And knowing, no, 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 that's too far. So the physical, I, so the physical ability that's really required there necessarily is having just supple hands, supple hands and really smooth actions. Right. But when you talk about agility, I think of that being much more also in tune with blocking being right. able to keep like the slider right. in the dirt, I was and that's still. Things, yeah. And the reality is, is that I think that that skill has become. I, I do think we are now switching back a little bit in some ways. In that we went through an era. I mean, I think that's more important now. The athleticism, all that, to, along with the strong arm, is more important now because we're in an era where, especially in come postseason, being able to throw out a base runner or at least keep a base keep base runners honest has become more valuable than it was. 10, 15 years ago, because... Right. Only when you're playing the Royals. <laughs> <laughs> or playing against the Royals. It is it's strange to me. I, I kind of always go back to, I guess, to Posada and Piazza. Mm-hmm. They were the main catchers, really, of our See, time at Baseball America. And I always think of Piazza as the guy who couldn't throw, but was a good handler mm-hmm. of pitchers and receiver, uh, presenter, whereas Posada... Was the worst present, presenter, oh. worst receiver, but had the great arm. Obviously, those guys were outliers offensively. I mean, do you feel like if there were robot umps, which one would be prioritized in the future? It'd be the the posado, wouldn't well, it? Offense would be prioritized. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in arm strength, like you well, said. Well, then I guess yeah. So then he he combines both of those. The, the Piazza guy who. I still think handling, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it'll radically change it, but I do think it will be subtle changes to how catchers are scouted and evaluated when that presentation is not as important. Yeah, speaking of athleticism, how about, how about Tyler White? He's off to, a, off to a great start. That is That's a good what I, I wanted to talk. Okay, I'll throw the question out there, which is Tyler White, Trevor Story, are NL and AL Players of the Week first week. Wow. When the season is over... Who is going to have had the better year? I have more belief in Tyler White's hitting ability, but I have more belief in Trevor Story as a prospect. So I would say Trevor Story. I think Trevor Story has a chance to remain the all year. He has less 
threat, fewer threats to be challenged. He does have a big one, which is as Reyes comes off the. Jose Reyes hasn't been good for a few years, and he doesn't want to be in Colorado. So to me, this is like, potentially an opportunity for them to say, "Hey, we've got our answer, and, and now let's move on." I like DJ LeMahieu for what he is. I also think Trevor Story has a little higher upside than DJ LeMahieu too. So I, I, I feel like Trevor Story's more likely to play 140 games, I guess, this year. Whereas Tyler White, I do feel if there's, I do still wonder a bit about his defense, but it's close. I'll give a slight edge to Story, but it's close. Tyler White's pure hitting ability is, is clear. Vastly superior to Trevor Story. Yeah, I would, I would take White. He's off to a great start. And then, he, was, he was so awesome last year. Just kind of an under-the-radar kind of guy. And, and he's doing basically what he's always kind of done the, as a professional, right? The one thing is, is his power so far has been a little bit better. Spring training and big leagues, which that was the only real question. Like, we ranked, it sounds like we ranked him low. I think he was 12th on our Astros list. I believe that's right. Something like which, that. That's because the Astros list, that would have been number one on the Angels list. That would have been number one on the Marlins list. There was a little doubt. There was nagging doubt. doubt. But the doubt was, he's not a third baseman, which he's not. And the doubt was, is will he hit for enough power to be a first baseman? He's right, right, and Tyler White. But the thing about it is, is that if this power bump that we've seen a little bit of, if this is, is if he's even a, a 15 to 20 guy, I don't have any real question that he should hit enough to be productive as a you know as a guy who hits for average, and then you know because I think he'll hit for average. Story, I do think Story is is going to be if he, if Trevor Story plays 140 games this year, it'll be a very fun ride. He doesn't get cheated no. because Trevor Story's Trevor back Story control will, versus Tyler White's back control is a massive advantage for Tyler White. But Trevor Story also does play in Coors. But the thing for Trevor Story is is that I could see him you know. I can't see him have a better week than the first week he had because the first week he had was insane. But I can see him having stretches of absolute dominance. And I can have him see him having stretches where Story, now 0 for 18 with 11 strikeouts in the past week. Right. That's, he's, a, he's a much more of a hot and cold hitter than White, who pretty much falls out of bed and then gets two hits. I guess I am just wondering, like, Tyler White, I guess I do want to see him... Do it a little bit longer. I mean, I, I obviously both of these guys. I mean, they're both kind of out of their gourd early. I guess my question with Tyler White is, there has to be a hole there somewhere. Who's going to exploit his hole? Was he not playing third base when you went to that uh, in 2013 when you did your Midwest League trip and you saw Carlos Correa? Wasn't he the no, third Rio baseman? No, Rio Ruiz was the third baseman. Rio Ruiz one. was the third baseman. But why? I thought you'd seen Tyler White no, on that no. trip and talked about how he. Scouts were talking. Maybe it was the next year. Uh, no, no, it was my Midwest League calls that year. Okay. At the end of the year, because Ruiz went at, at later in the year. Uh, White was there, and everyone you talked to saw Tyler White. Was Must like, have been the next year because he actually wasn't sorry, there until 2014. Uh, 2014. But the Midwest League calls was like, man, Tyler White can really hit. This, and then they were like, I don't know how he, but guys like that that looked like that because he looked a lot worse then than he does now. Right. But it was. Guys who look like that don't play in the big leagues. Honestly, I thought he was like Miles Head Part 2. Right. Yeah. We should remind people, this is a 33rd round pick out of Western Carolina. It is incredible. Who, <laughs> hit, who hit everywhere, small school, but hit everywhere he played them, you know, in college as well. The guy just hit everywhere. He, he never hit for power. Right, and, that was and that's the story. still the question. I mean, well, that was the story, that he hit one home run or three home runs basically every year until his senior year. When he hit 15 home runs, 15, 16 home runs. There's a good video that the Western Carolina uh, uh, school has a, has up on their YouTube page about Tyler White where he was in the uh, Diamond Demos thing on MLB Network with his head coach, Bob Miranda, who I spoke to earlier this week. 
And one of the things Coach Miranda taught, they demonstrated was the way to get him to hit for more power was to get that ball out front. He was always letting balls travel, let balls travel. It was more mm-hmm. of a spray-oriented, contact-oriented approach. And once he started getting balls out front and seeing positive results with that, that's reinforced it, and then he's been able to build on that since then. So, A, I do think the power is legit. I think it's in there. Having seen him in person, you see their strength. It's not a Pablo Sandoval body. It's not. No, it's, the it, body's gotten better and better. It's gotten better. better every year. It's still not ideal. It never will be ideal. He's got, but he's got short arms, so there's probably going to be pretty decent contact in there. Um, honestly, I should listen to the Ben Badler side of my prospect evaluation and say take the guy with the better hit tool, which is Tyler White. But I still think Trevor Story has a shortstop with power, mm-hmm. even though I think he's going to be volatile. In that ballpark, he's already got seven home runs. I don't think it's a stretch to think this guy can hit 25 home runs, even if he hits 260 with 180 strikeouts, which I think is – I think he could be like a Jose Hernandez kind of oh, guy. I mean, like the rare Hernandez. I like the Jose Hernandez. But I do think with Tyler White, when we talk about competition, one thing to remember is, is that – I do sure. think I, I do think for the Astros, there is a way that you could eventually fit White and Reed both you know, into the lineup. I mean, it, it is the thing about That's being – That's why they moved to AL, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> so. You know, if you want to go see Tyler White or if you want to go see Trevor Story. Or A.J. Reed at AAA. You need to remember, to, if you need tickets for those guys, I'm sure you've checked online. Then you may have been frustrated trying to buy those tickets online. Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. You know, one of the guys in the office uh, just came to me last uh, the, the last couple days and talked about using SeatGeek to buy his tickets it was some random rap show. You'd have to go ask Josh Norris. I'm sure it's on his Twitter timeline. But Josh did download the SeatGeek app. He did find the tickets that he wanted. And that's because they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place. So you save time and you never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games or shows. And SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats red yellow green it's very easy even i can use it before you buy you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to view the seat to see the view from your seat best of all SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price unlike stubhub SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout baseball america podcast listeners get a 20 dollars rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase so to get the rebate download the free SeatGeek app Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code BA20 and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So please do us a solid and download the free SeatGeek app today. And thanks again to SeatGeek for being part of the Baseball America podcast. As are J.J. Cooper and Matt Eddy uh, with me, John Manuel. We're talking big league rookies. Uh, I do think we all, so we all think both those guys, and neither of whom was in their top 10, Two very loaded farm systems. Yep. Trevor Story was 11. The Kyle funny thing was is, 12. is, yeah, those are two two of the most loaded systems in baseball where uh, two guys who we really like but could not crack a 10. Right. And then meanwhile, we have a number one prospect, Robert Stevenson, who did debut this week. Um, we had some other, and then we had some totally random, to me, um, guys make the big leagues. Jeremy Hazelbaker was the most random guy out of all these players to make the major leagues. He's got an interesting story and an interesting background. And now, Matt, he also has the profile kind of is going to, I think, that fits the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, an organization and a team last year mm-hmm. at the big league level was just awash in outfielders. 
And this year, due to injuries, trades, transactions, they needed Jeremy Hazelbaker, and he really fits as a lefty bat right. with speed off the bench. And they traded John Jay, so he kind of assumes the John Jay role. I think um, Hazelbaker retooled his swing when he was back at Memphis last year when the Cardinals signed him. It's actually in the story that he, Derek Gould did to a force. Actually, I guess he started retooling it in 2014, and he had some high strikeout numbers in his minor league career with the Red Sox and then with the Dodgers after he was traded. But then last year, he really had a hard time working on this retooled swing with double-A Tulsa, I guess it was with the Dodgers, because he wasn't getting playing time. Yeah, but I agree with you. When, you, when you're starting off field, there's mostly right-handed hitters. He makes perfect sense it, for them. He's off to a great start. The, the, and he runs. Right. The thing that's so important here is, is that cannot be overstated. It's small sample size. In the grand scheme, it doesn't mean that much. But for a guy like Jeremy Hazelbaker, it means everything. Because having a great first week mm-hmm. oh, yeah. basically is the difference. A terrible first week, if you're Jeremy Hazelbaker, very well, which means I had a seven-day big league career. Mm-hmm. A great first week means... He's pretty much earned a spot on the roster for at least the next month, month and a half. Which, yeah, I mean, is and it could be that you've played your way into Tommy Pham, a little bit better, I think, overall player. But Tommy Pham kind of did a similar thing a long time, long wait. Now, same organization. Pham right. was climbing at the Cardinals all the time. But he got up to the big leagues and he produced... And all of a sudden you go, okay, this is a guy who can produce play for them long term. He went from a guy who was like an extra piece to part of the plans. And Hazel Baker, right now, because of Fam's injury, he's, I don't know if he's part of the plan, but he's he's in that mix with Matt Holiday playing some first base this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, starting there on opening day, they've got Brandon Moss, who mm-hmm. could be in the outfield, but they've played Hazel Baker more than they've played Moss, uh, which is a little bit of a surprise. To me, how sustainable do you see Jeremy Hazelbaker? He seemed like he did cut his strikeout rate last year, at least a bit, in the Cardinals organization with this new swing. Well, obviously, as JJ said, you always have to be wary of I mean, the guys start 10 for 19. That's obviously not sustainable. Yeah. He's not going to keep that up. <laughs> but, I, I, I feel but, confident in saying you'll not get 500. I like him in a, in a spot him against a roll if one of the right-handed batters needs a, needs a break. I think fourth outfielder is a ceiling. I, I agree. I think he'd be perfectly happy with five years of third outfield goodness. I mean, you know? happy with a year, a year and a half. I mean, <laughs> yes. again, we, I mean, the funny thing is, is I was talking about this for you know. Hopefully, at some point, we'll talk real five and PD. Oh no, this was our trade. This was our segue. But, this is your shot, the guy. But but uh, but the thing about it is, is that is so vital with these longtime minor leaguers. Is I just a month on the big league roster is life. It's not life changing, but it's year changing. You're financial status just changed. Yes. And if Hazel Baker having having a big first week means that he's up for three months, well all of a sudden you went from making literally, you know, uh, at best solid middle class living for the year to being a you know someone who made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars this year. It's a well, massive difference. So what, just some other trivia with the debuts. Two pitchers the Mets originally signed. John Gant. John Gant with the Braves reliever and uh, Luis Sessa, the Yankees Did reliever. anyone else enjoy John Gant's delivery as much as no, I did? No, I think I would be very annoyed with that if I had to watch that all season. <laughs> it was like the Larry Johnson free throw thing. It's like he started his, oh no, now he started his delivery. <laughs> no, no, not yet. No, no, no. Now, no. It's now, basketball wait, wait for it. Now, so. okay, yes, yes. Okay. We're still reeling from Kobe Bryant last night. At least I am. I've been in NBA mode all you know, these. I had to make that comp. <laughs> like the mid-balance point pause. I can get behind that, but starting and then stopping and then starting. The funny know. thing is people are saying, why is that a balk? And, the, the, I mean, one thing to note with it is is that it, this is his wind-up 
You know, this is his... Right. He's not... I mean, again, maybe I'm being too much looking at the spirit of the rule, but you're not trying to deceive the base runner if there's no base runner. So Who are you, the New Jersey High School Athletic Association yeah, I know. or whatever yeah. it is? I'm hey, the, no, 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 I'm not going. I'm going by the spirit of the rule, uh, I got not you, the, letter. the letter. Yeah, the spirit of the rule would have Jason Groom not suspended, if you haven't seen that, at BaseballAmerica.com. Um, we, we, we were all over the board here. I have too many choices. I'm going to read a couple of quick uh, tweets. Alexis Brudnicki, friend of the program, asks, uh, which Canadian player are we most excited about this season? I'm going to quickly answer Josh Naylor. I'm, I've already, yeah, that I was going to say, I got to see Josh Naylor last week, and Josh Naylor hits the ball really, really, really hard. He's like a left. That's not a shot. He's like a left-handed Tyler White with power. I mean, they really do. The Marlins believe this guy is going to hit for average and power. He does have to clean up the body. Too many Tim Horton donuts apparently in the past. It's the only other Canadian fat joke I could make. But I love Josh Naylor. I don't love him twelfth overall, but I really do love him as a hitter. My, my favorite, the, the the game I saw. You know, he had a couple of little issues. The, the Marlins, actually, I've talked to guys who think that, no, he's really pretty solid over there at first base. The feet need a little bit of work, but the hands are really good. The mm-hmm. day I saw him, he was having a rough day. It was opening day, so, you know, I'll give him a little bit of pass on that. But the fun part was is that he came up late innings, key situation, and he smoked a ball. Right fielder made a poor read. Let's just say that. There's sure. not a good read. But this video is at Baseball America's uh, YouTube page. Yeah, it, it 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 was fun to watch though because it was a poor read. But there's very rarely that a, the outfielder thinks he's going to catch the ball, and then as the ball gets on him and he realizes that it has afterburners, he jumps to try to catch it and then realizes it goes five feet over his head. <laughs> I mean, it was like he didn't like it wasn't one of those I'm going to take off to the wall to go. It was a bad read, but it was also, whoa, that ball got on me a lot quicker than I thought it would. Yeah, he's, he hits the ball real hard. Is there a Canadian prospect? Mike Soroka, perhaps? Anybody oh, else? Actually, I would to prefer Mike Soroka. I prefer, I talked about him. <laughs> I talked to him too. Saw his pitch. I know you saw him in spring training. Nice. I, I was shocked you went Naylor. I thought you were going to go Soroka. I was just yeah. serving up Soroka for you. <laughs> Soroka is even better this year. He's taken some strides. He has moved on the rubber. He's a little more direct to the plate. I mean, this is JJ. Yeah. This is JJ Bingo right here. Well, catnip for JJ. But, you know, he's, he's a little more direct to the plate, and he was excellent in his debut, his uh, 2016 debut, and I expect him to have a very big year in the Saturday League. Any, any rando Canadians for you, Matt? I haven't filtered for Canada yet, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, good God. Um, and Bo Chisholm asks, Edwin Diaz looks good so far. Could he break into the Mariners' rotation later in the year? Um, I mean, obviously it's early. Uh, Seattle so far has been seattle you know, three and six. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't anticipate the way they're doing things right now, J.J., as you wrote about, you talked to Andy McKay, their farm director, You've got to earn it, but if you earn it, they will move players Drew fast. Jackson. They did it with Drew Jackson, the high class A. So my answer would be Edwin Diaz keeps it up. Maybe he will be there this by the end of the year because it's not like they have a whole lot of let, jokers standing in his place. Let me rephrase that question and throw out to you guys. If we were redoing it right now, who is your Mariners' number one prospect? When we did it in the prospect handbook, Alex Jackson, who was their number one pick, sixth of the overall, Two years ago was our number one prospect for them. Diaz was two. Uh, Drew Jackson, I believe, was. I'm not sure who was three. three. I think it was Drew Jackson. The, thing, the things that were problematic for Diaz last season were control, mm-hmm. poor control, and holding runners. These are two things where he just killed himself last year. And the holding runners is something if, that generally. If he can improve you those two fix. things, he does have 
the arm to be a major league pitcher. Thus far, he has walked one in 11 innings, but it's early. It's right. April, but that is, is he back a at, positive trend. He's back at Jackson, okay. which is age appropriate. He's 22 uh, in the Southern League. Um, I would not do my yeah. Neil Young impression. Wow. So the, he has obviously ceiling and areas he can improve. So, yeah, I think the second half of the year I could see him in the majors. But that's how I feel about it. So I, I think I would have gone Drew Jackson. I, I, I always defer to the infielders. And I think I would do Drew Jackson as well because um, the, the questions about him, oh, the, there's athleticism, there's survival tools with his speed, defense, defense. throwing arm. And now that it looks like and, he can hit. And I'm the evidence is kind there. Yeah, the evidence is there that he can hit. And uh, Seeing the ball does help you. you know, the impact will be the question this year. How much power will there really be? The ISO was under 100 last year in Everett. The ISO is under 100 so far this year. It's very early. So when, he but when your ISO is under 100 in the Cali, your right. ISO is really under but, but, but the fact that it was under 100 for 226 of bats in Everett, that's a concern. He was swinging the ball. He hit 350, whatever, 358. But I don't, I don't know that he's a power guy. But honestly, I think he's a better version of Brad Miller. I think he will be a better defender. Yeah. Not as much impact pop as Brad much Miller less. had some power. Yeah. This guy won't have that. But could this guy be a table-setting shortstop? I think he could be that guy. I, I think that's possible. And the funny thing and is, is I'll, actually, I'll actually give the comp more to towards Kettle Marte. Yeah. I mean, to me, the guy, the guy that they, actually their shortstop the guy that they have, because, uh, again, Jackson, if he's going to have value, it's going to be hitting for average, it's going to be stealing bases, it's going to be running the bases, and it's going to be defense and athleticism. And that's kind of, I mean, you're not expecting much power. You don't get much power out of Marte either. I think that Jackson might post a little bit higher OBPs than Marte because Marte's really kind of more, a little bit more batting average derived, uh, you know, for all his OBP. But the but. point is, neither Edwin Diaz nor Drew Jackson, in my opinion, should be your number one prospect. I, I like both those guys. Neither of those guys are Alex top Jackson 100 guys. Yes. He should be. <laughs> should be. And he definitely is not. So that's a problem. Um, there was some other subject I there was another lost qu- over. There was a Twitter question we also had about the top of the draft, which I think we could just touch on briefly to say, I don't think the one thing I think is useful for us to note here is is Jason Groom being suspended by New Jersey for transfer rules yeah. does literally nothing to affect his draft status. It doesn't help it because you can't pitch more and right. help it. All it can really do is hurt it. But that said, I think that was true before his suspension. Because when you're already rated as the number one high school pitcher, you check a lot of you basically check every box that the past high school left-handers who've gone 1-1 check, with the exception of there are some questions about the makeup. There are all these rumors with Jason Groom. Why did he transfer to IMG? What happened at IMG that caused him to transfer back to New Jersey, which is why he's suspended? You know, the first person I called on this uh, really kind of thought, okay, what is the suspension really about? Oh, it's 30 days, then that's the transfer rule. He had fear that it would be something else. Because there are all these rumors and innuendo, and I don't even know if you'd say there's smoke, but there is so much talk, JJ, about this player. But this uh, evaluator that I talked to said, uh, players handled himself well this spring. There are hangers-on that are part of the picture. That gives you some pause. But in this fishbowl and this scrutiny so far this year of being the top guy, transferring back home, he has endured that very well, and he came out Monday and he has this pitch count that his uh, team, that team groom, wants him mm-hmm. to adhere to. It's 75 pitches. He throws 74 through six innings. He just said, no, I'm going back out for the seventh. Completed the first no-hitter in school history. 
94 miles an hour in his last pitch. Uh, the breaking ball is like flashing 70, according to Hudson Belinsky and other scouts. Who were, you know, Hudson was there. Um, he checks every box. So I, 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 to, I, me, to me, it's all going to come down to the money for this guy to be in the top five. And he still could go 1-1. I think it's all going to come down to what kind of deal can be gotten Right, there. but when you say to go in the top five, though, I mean, the reality is is that nowadays you kind of have to go in the top five to get the money that he should get. Right, but I'm just saying, though, but if all those teams have negative reports on the makeup, what happens? Right. And he's committed to Vanderbilt. I mean, it's not like people don't drive Vanderbilt players right. high. And that's a place where if you want to show you have good makeup, that's a good place to show it. Buster and Tyler Kepner will sing your praises, and I'm kidding, but I mean, like, Vanderbilt is a great place to go if you're going to pitch in college. It's not the only great place to go, but Vanderbilt's certainly one of them. But the other thing with that is is that on the field, it's very early for Groom, and he's going to miss probably two starts now because of the suspension. Right. But Which the, kind of works out well for him, works poorly for the team, well for him, is that he got to throw two times, then was declared ineligible, and they had to go back and forfeit those games. Bad for the team, but for Jason Groom... The scouts don't care that you're you know, when you showed 94 with a breaking ball like that right. that it doesn't officially count. No one cares. So the other part about that though is is that we were talking about this isn't a draft where so many guys who were thought to be at the top of this group have really struggled this year. Right. And so it that again a, a two week suspension effect, effectively for Groom is to be less concerning than say Alec Hansen who has lost his spot in the rotation. Yes, the guys who have helped themselves the most to me are people like Nick Senzel of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. To me, he's the safest bet mm-hmm. in the whole draft class. I, I feel like that if the, if he gets to two, the Reds, you know, would just he's so tailor made for the Reds. He would college just check infielder. off the box. It's exactly. like thank you, gaming gamer college infielder who has production and tools. Right. Check. So who the Phillies are going to do at number one? Grew makes so much sense. He's local. They have the resource to look into him. They've you know, but. They're clearly looking at other players. Pat Gillick didn't come to NHSI to watch Blake Rutherford because they're not considering him for the number one pick, even if he is going to be 19 by the time of the draft as a high school outfielder. I mean, I wouldn't take Blake Rutherford one overall versus Groom, but they're clearly considering it, and they know more about it than I do. Um, Riley Pint, are they going to be the first team to go take a high school right-hander? In this climate, Matt, with Tyler Kolick just having had Tommy John surgery, as you said in our meeting today, young pitchers just get their injuries out of the way earlier and earlier. Would you take any high school right-handed pitcher 1-1? The recent track record is not strong. I mean, you look at Kolick, uh, even some of the can't-miss guys like Archie Bradley and Dylan Bundy from the 2011 draft. Yep. I think that was the same draft Lance McCullers Jr. He was the next year. He was 2012. He was part of the and he's, he's one of the greatest successes. Among right, high school right-handers. As is, uh, and Jose he's on the DL. He's on the DL right now. Right, and Jose, and Jose Fernandez Jose has already had TJ. So, man, <laughs> and this is a guy who's already throwing 100 miles an hour. And if, if the Phillies want to win in three years, no, I probably won't take a high school right-hander when all the when all their young players are going to. I mean, be the thing about this is tough though is, is that when you go, okay, let's well, let's look at the college pitchers. We want to take a college yeah. pitcher, and most of those guys right now, the options are AJ Puck. Or Connor Jones or Dakota Hudson. Those are the top three options. Dakota Hudson from the vaunted Tennessee high school class of 2013. John Manuel, personal cheese Dakota class. Hudson, who when the when the year started, none of us thought would be talking about Dakota Hudson, who I, I knew just how to scare JJ when I mentioned Dakota. Oh, Hudson. Yeah. I said, "Oh, he's following the Chris Stratton path of the first round," and JJ was like, "No." 
no! I mean, like, like, but, but like even Puck, who has been the guy, you know, considered the probably the top college arm in this coming into the year and all that. Pitching tonight, we record this on Thursday. He's pitching tonight for Florida, right? I because he's after skipping network after skipping a start last week as he came back from a back spasms that caused him to leave his start right. two weeks ago. And oh yeah, by the way. Also went from being the Saturday, not he's never been the Friday starter, Logan Correct. Shore, but went from being the Saturday starter to the Sunday starter because, to be honest, he's been, if you said, who have been the most productive Florida pitchers this year, not draft, top draft prospects, right. but most productive, you wouldn't rank him first and you wouldn't rank him second. Correct. Alex, don't call me Lenny Fado. Son of Lynn Fado is their number two uh, starter. And then the other issue, other college pitchers, I love Connor Jones. I think I like him more than most pro teams do because Virginia pitching, I think, is an aspect. But to me, Connor Jones, three pitches, athletic, arm works, clean. I, I Connor Jones, to me, is the safest bet among the college starting pitchers. If, Track record, I thought he had a claim to being the best high school pitcher in the 2013 high school class. So I, I've always liked Connor Jones, I, I even with this. the squat and all that stuff. I, I, I know I've had negative things to say about that in the past. I like Connor Jones. I'm, I'm Connor honored. Jones to me is the litmus test. If Connor, the best way I can put it, and this is nothing against the Virginia program, but if Connor Jones goes out and then bad things happen as a pro, at that point, I do think that is the point where yeah. pro scouts go, okay, I'm right. sorry, I'm the, off of it. The other high draft Virginia pitchers have had some questions, but you know, Tyler Wilson's pitching in the big leagues right now. He wasn't a high draft Virginia pitcher, but he's in the big leagues right now. So. And they did, and he did. So what did he go? He, so he turned down money on a high school. I think it was two million dollars. So I mean, because he withdrew himself from the draft, mm-hmm. still got you know plenty of offers. But Connor Jones uh, pitched a lot as a sophomore, won a national championship, and now as a junior, you know, he's going to pitch his way into the first round as long as he stays healthy. Uh, the only other college guys I think who are in that mix to go in the top five are Corey Ray and Kyle Lewis, the outfielders from Louisville and Mercer. You can take a Mercer. Kid in the first five, Maddie. The point of this is it's volatile. I think this is an extremely volatile draft class. It doesn't mean that someone from nowhere is going to come into the top five, but that's where we were lighter on Drew Mendoza earlier in the year, and now this high school infielder from the Orlando area. sounds like he's in the mix too in the first 10, 15 picks. And uh, I don't think this will be a consensus draft. I don't think this is going to be an easy draft to predict. So no. good question from Nick Coates. Coatsy on Twitter, and we thank uh, we thank him for his comments and observations. And before we wrap up, <laughs> we gotta talk rule five. I'm gonna leave you guys to it. I have to go pick up my kids, but <laughs> poor rule, Matt, your Matt, you're sticking. Matt's stuck <laughs> here to talk rule five. And the point of the rule five discussion is uh, to give it a coffee talk uh, uh, discussion point is that the rule five draft allows players to make all this money. And on a major league salary, they had no chance, not even close to the minor leagues. And therefore, uh, it's a significant inducement to PED use as evidence. But, well, not as evidence. And the, there's a financial inducement to using PEDs. And we've had three rule five leagues, picks. Three rule five picks suspended for PED use in the last two years. Um, does the rule need to be changed? Discuss. But, well, the, the big thing to me is, is that... The, the biggest part of this is this, the little add-on to that is, is that an 80-game suspension just happens, incidentally, to make it perfect for major league teams because if a guy gets suspended for 80 games, he ends up coming back to just barely fulfill the 90-game active roster requirement. Right. And it means that 30 days of that 90 day, 31, 32 days of that 90 days 
happens during September, which is really the give me, the freebie, because... Unless you get 20 days of rehab. You know, but extended rosters. You got to be on that big league roster active for forty, you know, for for ninety days. So it means instead of having to carry a guy in April, you know, May, June, July, August, you just have to carry him in July and August. That's a win for teams. They don't draft guys knowing they have PD, PED suspensions. But in a case like a guy like Daniel Stump, you don't want to test positive for PED. Uh, you know, I, I I believe you know that that. He kind of is baffled that he did, but at the same time, it makes him more likely to stick on the Phillies for the entire year than it would have if he hadn't have been. Which increases his earning power this year and next year. And the year after. Substantially. If, you know, he, if I, he stays on the 40-man in year three. And again, Andrew McKeerahan, who was tested positive for PEDs last year, suspended, but still, I believe by one day, met the 90-day active roster requirement for the Braves last year. Came to spring training this year on their 40-man, competing for a job. Blew his arm out. So he'll stay the entire year on the 60-day DL. You know, BaseballAmerica.com wrote this whole thing up. But, I was going to say, why don't, we, why don't we tease what your solution yeah. is? Go to BA.com. And- right, go to BA.com. But now I, I did want to ask you if you thought I was... So basically the solution was, okay, you know what? Rule 5 picks should be a year of suspension if you test positive for PED. Is that, do you think that that would fix it? Do you think there's a better? I've seen multiple people sent to Twitter to me. The initial knee-jerk reaction is, is if you just paid minor league players better, then that would take away the incentive. But I don't think that they're getting the fact that I'm all for paying minor league players better. The gulf between a major league minimum salary and a better minor league wage is still going to be so vast that it's not going to eliminate your... You're, no one, no one out there. Garrett Brocious, who's leading the uh, charge for this, is not arguing that minor leaguers should make three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in AAA. Right. What, what you propose would disincentivize it, or maybe any player who tests positive that rule five selection is voided. The he, one go, thing he, goes back to, he goes back to his original organization on the minor league side. But the one thing I thought about that is, is two two potential problems with that. One is that punishes the selecting team who I think still should have the option of keeping the guy. You know, it's not their fault that the guy tested positive for PEDs. You didn't know that when you selected him. So, like, if you take a guy and you really like him, you still should have the chance of, of keeping him. And two, in the craziest, this would never happen. But in some weird, bizarre way, what you would really, the if you were the most underhanded team of all time, all you would need to do then is, is spike a player who's on your team, so that he tests positive for PEDs, and you get him back. Win! <laughs> I know, that's, that sounds unlikely, but, you know, again, but you've created an incentive where, uh, to me, the, the thing with the year-long suspension is is that it doesn't punish the selecting team, but it does, uh, in essence, punish the player who, I mean, the reality is, is I know there are guys who have inadvertent, you know, they inadvertently have ingested something, but that's the system we have now. It's... It's something to think about. But if you if it does interest you, go to baseballamerica.com. We have a, a piece on on how sometimes right now with Rule 5 Draft PEDs, it does pay. So for John Manuel and Matt Eddy, I'm J.J. Cooper. Thank you again for the download. This concludes our program. Visit baseballamerica.com for more podcasts. Today's Baseball America podcast was sponsored by SeatGeek. Baseball America podcast listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BA20.